What is going on, friends, and welcome to another episode of Behind the PFP, a podcast dedicated to exploring the vibrant personalities and captivating stories of Web3. Today, we have one of the most mysterious yet well-known legends of Azuki, Bamedi. He's an OB who's been with Azuki since day one, and he's someone who has helped build Azuki's IP and brand through his many spaces. He's also a Spirit DAO member and manages their X account. It was great to finally unravel his mysteries and to get to know what he does outside of Web3, along with dissecting his success in Web3 as a champion of Azuki and its community. Without further ado, let's jump right into it. start with i kind of look at everyone as like a book and i kind of want to open your story up and learn more about you so to start what does your cover look like tell us just a snippet of who you are and what you do outside of web3 it's a great way to start off what, what, what would the cover of my book look like geez i usually keep a pretty tight lid on what i do outside of web3 but generally speaking i work in in broadcast operations down under in australia so i spend a lot of my time with media and working in the sports field sports broadcast so i do spend a lot of my spare time most of my spare time digging into web3 nfts networking all that nothing that's too much of a surprise to people that follow me on my timeline but yeah my i I do have a standard nine to five gig that keeps me pretty busy during the year um i'm usually flat out with work from during the summertime down here which is you know from around december through to february that's usually when i fall off a cliff and (laughs) i'm a bit absent because that's usually my busiest time of year which is sort of outside the norm that's usually when people down under and and no doubt over in the states canada where you guys are take their vacations holidays christmas break but that's when i'm full flight with work so crazy how that works outside of my nine to five yeah yeah it's fine it's part of the job though which is why it's interesting i'm pretty lucky i get to get out from behind the desk a fair bit outdoors traveling around to all the different sports venues in australia helping them set up their broadcasts so yeah that's just a little bit of an insight into what i do without going too deep into it but yeah it's been doing that for about four or five years now and I guess looking at a few other little side projects as I go, a few hobbies all linked to Web3. What does it entail being in the broadcast operations, especially down in Australia? Are you are you focusing on just one specific sport like rugby or, or soccer? Yeah, I do focus on one specific sport. There's a lot of cross-pollination with other sports, you know, working together, promoting each other's products. There's a lot of that, when you, especially when you're working with networks that showcase multiple sports. So part of my role in this job is majority of its relationship management with our rights holders for the organization I work for. So making sure our rights holders are happy, and that includes domestic and international rights holders. Oh, my. Yeah. And making sure that what they're doing when it comes to these sporting events is compliant with our standards and also the product that they're showcasing across their platforms so tv digital print radio is all 
aligned with our objectives. So it's essentially making sure they're happy, but also managing how the organization I work for wants to be portrayed across their platforms. Yeah, finding a balance. That must be a high pressure job then. Yeah, it, it is. It's very, it can be very political. So I, I tend to find that I work best under pressure. So it sort of it sort of works in my favor, I guess, you know, all the way through <laughs> high school, university. I, I was the sort of student that would leave myself limited time to do tasks. So it meant that I was working under pressure a lot of the time. Some may say that's shooting myself in the foot, but I think through <laughs> through that, a consequence of that or a benefit was finding that I'm actually quite capable of working under pressure. So when it comes to the summertime and working with all these different stakeholders, it's trying to find that balance of working for what's right for my organization and trying to deliver for our stakeholders as well, who are very demanding. You know, these guys yeah. are paying a lot of money to promote our product and to showcase our product. So they've got a lot of money tied up in that. So we just need to make sure that everything's ticking along nicely. And yeah, there can be a lot of, there can be a lot of issues that pop up along the way, but at the end of the day, it's my job to fix them, put those spot fires out. I know I'm speaking very generally now, but yeah, you're right. It's, it is quite high pressure and, you know, I enjoy that. I think that's something that I like. And some may say, <laughs> I like to think that being able to work in those high pressure environments actually has helped me sort of find my place in Web3 a little bit. You know, this is quite a volatile yeah. and high pressure environment at times. I know that everyone's got their own little pockets that you can take a much more relaxed outlook to this space but i feel like what i've learned and what i've experienced in web 2 working in this job has actually allowed me to keep a bit more of a leveled head when it comes to being a part of this web 3 community that no doubt we'll chat through a bit later yeah no kidding there's so many different aspects when it comes to web 3 so i imagine you've been able to take that high pressure situation awareness situational awareness that you have that you've kind of trained yourself on ever since high school and you've probably brought it into so many different aspects like trading and, you know, defending the garden as such you, you do on a daily. You have been such a mystery to me. So, so I feel like I'm already <laughs> like a lot closer to you knowing, knowing uh, a little bit about your life. So then I, I guess that's, that's what, you know, mostly takes up your, your summertime what what do you do on the winter time then? Is it kind of like an an off season for you as well? Yeah, it's it's off season in a way. It's a lot of preparation, planning, budgeting, just getting yourself set up for that busy period. Really, it's also an opportunity to have a bit of downtime when possible. So, the the, the six to nine months where it is the off season you're really getting yourself set up for that three months, which can feel like an eternity because it's so such a busy period. So it's just managing that balance and yeah, a lot of preparation work throughout the year. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you, do you at least have time to kind of do stuff that you, you like to do? I mean, what, what do you like to do on your, on your spare time? Yeah, good question. I, I yo-yo a bit out of, out no of interests way. and hobbies. I, I do. Really? Yeah, yeah, like I go through phases where I'll focus on one thing and transition to another from time to time. Like I'm not sort of set on one sort of hobby. I guess a lot of what I'm doing at the moment is when I do have spare time, I'm, you know, in the Discord chats with my networks, uh, chatting through, you know, NFTs, trends, all of that, spending a bit of time researching and community management through Spirit Dow and my own profile, I guess, to a lesser extent. 
but also I do spend a bit of time, you know, winding down. I don't mind, you know, a bit of gaming. I'm a gamer at heart. <laughs> you know, I'm a OG Warcraft 3 veteran that oh, loves wow. Dota. I haven't played Dota in a while, but hard to find time trying to balance, you know, work real life relationships yep. and then you know if i can get an hour or two every second night or a few few nights a week to jump on you know diablo or one of these games that's great i love you know watching anime as well i'm a big weeb at heart so whenever <laughs> I, I get surprised a chance by that, to actually. what's, yeah, what's your favorite yeah. anime then oh i've got a long list i mean my my original favorites you know can't go past akira Dragon Ball Z, Hunter x Hunter, but I do like, you know, a lot of newer anime that's been coming out. I'm a big Demon Slayer maxi. Oh. I know it's everyone will be like, oh, Shonen, you know, get, you know, forget Shonen, haters, that's man. so typical, but yeah. forget that. No, I, I just genuinely think that's one of my favorite animes at the moment. You know, I love the, the sound tracks and compositions Ooh. the original soundtracks for each of the seasons they're very a lot of classical orchestral music so whenever i it's it's funny actually one of my favorite parts about watching anime is listening to the music behind it watching the arts obviously a great aspect of it but you know i like to go for long walks and whenever i go to the gym i actually just pull up the spotify and chuck on one of my playlists which <laughs> is predominantly anime soundtracks demon slayer it's a mix of uplifting battle <laughs> battle music or great tracks it's, I, I just find it it's an easy going. way to, it gets you going yeah exactly it it's, it, yeah. These, these studios pump so much money in their shows so uh, i i don't know why but i just really connect with that part of uh, the anime culture i'm a big collector of anime art books and i've just recently had a trip to japan where i came back with you know in excess of 20 art books and first edition manga so i'm just you know i like collecting things i like the art behind the anime and yet i've always connected with it since i was a kid you know growing up every morning before school i would you know while my mum was preparing my lunch, I'd sneak into the TV room and throw on, you know, every morning Dragon Ball Z was on. Oh, so I'd try yes. and sneak in, you know, yeah. 10, 10, 15 minute, minutes of Dragon Ball Z every morning before, before school when bus. I was, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Before I was like uh, in, in year five, six, when I was quite young. So I think that's where my interest stemmed from, you know. So yeah, that, that, that's sort of what I like to do in my spare time. I'm not too, I, I guess that's how I found as well Azuki, which we can get into a bit later. But my, my interest in anime and the style and the art, uh, my interest in Japanese culture really led me to that project and my profile that I've created for myself on Twitter now. Oh, dude, that is so cool. I love hearing that you are such a weeb. Uh, and I, I know you're a weeb because like, I feel like only weebs work out and listen to anime music because <laughs> I swear to God, no one else does that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's um, it works, man. It gets it you does. fired up. Oh I mean, a, a lot of those OPs are just you know full on hype tracks. You got to get going somehow. And yeah, I'm just so over listening to. <laughs> I, I used to actually be a real big bass head back in the day. Like I, I used to DJ a bit at my mates' gigs, drum and bass, oh, dubstep. Yeah electro old school back in the you know early 2000s before it sort of all mushed into one genre today yes so yeah that that was that was my og go-to and now i'm just you know keeping it clean with my my anime <laughs> anime soundtracks <laughs> from and... dj to listening to anime love it yeah, yeah. Well, I actually DJed under the alias Saitama for a while. No way. Which was, you know, for people that know, it's One Punch Man. <laughs> Main character. It was just a bit of fun. 
not didn't take myself seriously at all. But yeah, yeah it was, uh... out of out of all people, I mean, come on, he's so overpowered. You had to bring that level that he brings on your your sets. Exactly, exactly. That's it. <laughs> so. I'm going to hit you with something different. I don't know if you've ever listened to any of my episodes, but I do, I've started doing this thing called Bean Blitz. Okay, so it's a lightning round section where I just hit you with quick questions and it's nothing crazy. It's just something I like to do for fun before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of Web3 and Walazuki. Are you down for it? <laughs> Let's do it. Sounds okay. like fun. Okay, sounds good. All right. First question. Bulbasaur, Squirtle, or Charmander? Oh, that's hitting me with the hard one early. <laughs> yeah, right away. I mean I'll go I'll go with I'll go with Charmander. Hey, okay. No, that's a that's a good one. I it's like a that. it's a close it's, it's a close a battle between Squirtle and Charmander because I'm a big Charizard Maxi, but Squirtle's my OG starter. So anyway, you know what? You're start you you're, you're sticking with your domain, your fire domain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you exactly. could be mentored by an anime character, who would you choose? Kakashi, Gojo, or All Might? Hmm, that's a good question. Who was what was the second? one you suggested gojo from uh, jujutsu oh <laughs> probably kakashi oh okay why kakashi he's he's the most experienced out of the three he is he is he's been around the longest you know he's he's guy knows his his stuff okay i like that if you were stranded on an island with zero shao jd ryzen and bobu what what jobs would you delegate to each person? <laughs> uh, God, Shao's definitely hunting for the food. Assuming this island has some sort of wildlife on yes. it. Yes. JD's building my shelter. I don't know. I feel like that guy just you know nice. he's a homebod. <laughs> he wants to. He, he knows how to keep himself cozy. Yeah. <laughs> Bobu, I'm just sending him away. <laughs> Just like, leave, Bobu. Bobu, go go for a wander and tell me what you find when you come back because, like, he's not going to be useful around the camp. Yeah. As much as he's a farmer, I mean, maybe he could do some farming at some stage, but I'm just going to send him for a walk. Yeah, yeah, smart. And, oh, uh, what would Ryzen be doing? Ryzen, I feel like Ryzen's the leader. Ryzen's mm, got to lead everyone. She's got that energy. Mm-hmm. She's got that energy. So. I like it. Commanding everyone. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was it. That's that's Bean Blitz, man. Just just nice, quick questions. I like it. Okay, so let's really get into it here. Obviously, you've been around Web3 for quite some time now, but I don't actually know how long you've been in Web3 and how you kind of found crypto and NFTs. So can you tell me about your journey? How did it start? Yeah, so I've been in been in crypto. I'll start with that probably since about 2018, 2019. Okay. So I transitioned from like I, I got quite into trading and investing in stocks. I was quite I'm quite late to the party, but probably around 2017, 2016, 17. 
So uh, naturally through trading stocks, I was looking around, doing a bit of research on what else was happening. And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of buzz around Bitcoin and Ethereum at the time. So just through listening to, I actually, there was a podcast I'd listened to in Australia. It's not, nothing of note, but when I was learning how to invest into stock, into the stock market, the guys that I was listening to, a bunch of Aussie guys that, you know, every so often they'd touch on crypto. To be fair, I think both of them thought it was a bit of a scam or one of them did, <laughs> one of them thought it wasn't wasn't great, but the other one did. So, you know, just through listening. It's an investment to, opportunity to them. Exactly. Like they, 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 they were very much about, you know, dollar cost averaging into stocks over a 10, 20 year period and setting yourself up for retirement basically. But then one of them, you know, they've got a younger audience, you know, dabble into a bit of crypto conversations. And naturally onto that, I started researching, I jumped on board into one of Australia's crypto exchanges, did a bit of Binance trading. And then as an extension of that, I think I started, like some people got hooked into listening to you could call them influencers or traders on YouTube. Before I had a Twitter, I was just very big on YouTube. I didn't upload videos, but I spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos. Yeah. I'm quite visually stimulated, you know, back when I was um, growing up. Easy to digest that information too, right? Yeah, exactly. Easy to digest. You know, when I was in school and university, I did a lot of creative subjects, you know, graphic design, media, comms, all that. So I was never really into reading that much. So I consume a lot of my media through video and art and uh, all that. So spent a bit of time on YouTube, listen to some people talk about crypto and all that. And naturally through that, then I discovered some more altcoins on the Ethereum chain, started playing around with MetaMask, ah, Uniswap. The progressive evolution. Yeah, progressive evolution. So I wasn't really into um, DeFi and all that leverage. It was more just, you know, trying to flip a few altcoins, invest for a few months and then sell if it goes up, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty basic, real, yeah. real base level trading. And through that, I probably learned that I should stop trading. I was doing a lot <laughs> of small transactions, but I sort of didn't love just staring at a chart all day, looking at candles, riding the highs and lows. And then off the back of that, I... One of the YouTubers I was following at the time was started talking about Bored Apes. And I that's when I started looking into NFTs and OpenSea while I faded the Bored Apes call. I don't regret it, but at the time he's like, oh, yeah, these Bored Apes are, you know, they're at three or four Ethereum. I was like, damn, there's no way I can justify, there's no way I can justify spending that much on this NFT thing, but then I found projects that were sort of similar to Board Apes that were kind of cool. So I would throw in, you know, 0 0.3, 0 0.5, 0 0.6 ETH, and then out of all of a sudden, this NFT that I bought for 06 ETH, I was able to flip it and sell it for 2 ETH. And I was like, wow, this is, I've just made more than I ever have trying to trade altcoins on Ethereum. And I haven't had to stare at any charts or anything. I've just been scrolling the through this. Days, yeah. yeah, the good old <laughs> the good old days. Yeah, spent a lot of time going through some of these early collections, just dropping, like going through all the rare traits on OpenSea and just scattergunning lowball offers with Weath bids okay. on some of these cool projects that I actually liked and supported. But at the time before you could, you know, mass bid on items or... 
what, what how easy it is to collect NFTs today. Back then, I spent so much time manually bidding on all these NFTs, and I landed heaps of quite good deals. And as a result, I was able to flip my way up and make a bit of ETH. And at that stage, I was just like, you know what, I'm not interested in trading altcoins or um, crypto anymore. I'm just focusing on NFTs because one, I don't need to stare at charts all day. Yes, floor price was important, but two, I'm actually enjoying scrolling through art, engaging with these communities <laughs> on Discord because it was a wild, wild, wild west. And this was before the market was super saturated. So there was really like, I remember... I think Oni Force was one of the first projects that I went heavily minted. I heavily minted because I saw the art come out. I was like, "Cool, this is an anime-style project." I really vibed the vibe what they're going on with. I knew a few people that were modding their Discord, and then I jumped in. It was a really hype mint, as most people know. It went up. I managed to get some whitelists and mint direct from contracts some as well. This was back in the day of insane gas wars. So I reckon I spent silly amounts of gas to mint like eight or ten of these. And one of them was a rare pool and I was able to flip it for like 12 ETH. And I was like, damn, okay, so this is, this is, this is a thing. This is, you know, this is the hype that's going on. Back then, I probably, like most, didn't identify that, you know, this is bull market key mania phase but there was so much good opportunity back then and just as a result was you know really found myself embedded in the space from that and then off the back of that i found azuki on twitter and but yeah that's essentially how i found myself in web3 and nfts was it so when when azuki came out for you was that kind of when you started to build your personal brand or had you had you built sort of this personal brand before azuki because i mean your numbers don't lie you have like 23k plus followers you get really good engagement what strategy and you, you know what we will get, sorry this is such a ta- tangent we, we will definitely get back to azuki but like i i really respect what you've done and i'm just kind of curious what strategies or principles that you found most effective in kind of growing and maintaining your your sort of brand presence on on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I've gone through a bit of an evolution with my presence on Twitter for the, thank you first of all for <laughs> the kind words and respecting where I've come to. I, I think what Azuki gave me the platform to hit the level I'm at right now. Back in the early days of when I was investing in NFTs, when board apes were, you know, floating around two to four ETH, and I was doing my Doge Pound shenanigans, plus there were a few other projects I was invested in, like Treeverse, all the random character collective stuff, NFT Worlds, a bunch of others. A, a lot so of many. there's so many. There was a lot of garbage as well, but I think the the transition for me really occurred when I started engaging with the Twitter, sorry, the Azuki community on Discord. When I found Azuki, I probably had like 3,000 followers on Twitter, which for me back then, I was like, wow, this is insane. Like, I'm quite reserved when it comes to my social presence in real life. Like, I have a, you know, I have an Instagram account. I used to use Facebook and MySpace, but I've sort of stopped using those. I think I only really use, I'm going to say Facebook now because that's where my mates put a lot of their events Mm. up still well i hope everyone left myspace (laughs) (laughs) those were the good old days myspace so yeah when i 
to get to that 3K mark, I was doing a lot of posts on some of the projects I was in, looking at, you know, hey, this is what the floor price is looking at. This is what the volume we're getting. This is, you know, hold account. I was doing a lot of sort of statistical posts around the projects I was invested in. It wasn't deep-seated analysis, but I was, you know, sharing art, sharing big sales. I was basically providing updates and sort of, I guess it was almost like a news feed for people that were invested in these projects. And then Azuki came and... I shifted my mentality a bit. I sort of started connecting with the guys on Discord and some of the mods at the start yeah. of the project. And I started sharing a lot of their content. And I have a one of my first degrees was graphic design. So I started creating a few little sort of mock-up. They weren't really posters, but I was playing around with what Azuki had released on their website with their... Um, logo and some of the early art and I just started posting that and then stemming from that I was granted an early opportunity to be an OG um, OB for those that don't know that's sort of like the one of the early groups early supporter groups of Azuki yep that that chat group's not super active these days it is no. <laughs> but back in the early days it was you know really this big group to be a part of and I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to I think I was able to give away a whitelist spot for Azuki yes I do remember that and yep. those posts just blew up yeah so I think I was just in the right place at the right time and showing interest early enough that I was lucky enough to get this opportunity by the team and once you start getting retweeted by this new project that everyone's finding quite interesting I was able to pick up a whole lot of new followers and then I started transitioning my um, the way that I saw the community team at Azuki apply themselves and even the core team, this is when Z and Dem, Dem's still very active, but Z and 2PM, I think those guys were really active in the Discord in the very early days when we probably had like 5,000 people in there. The way I saw them interact with the community is sort of how I started Ooh, modeling it, shaping myself on my profile. So I started focusing a bit more on uplifting creators and engaging with the community in a bit more of an organic way so i really like the art behind azuki and when there was a lot of people creating early commissions for azuki so you know midji sam gildas yuka a lot of these artists i mean these guys were releasing content super early days in azuki there's a few others that i haven't mentioned they sort of inspired me to share their content on twitter and i was sort of started doing these they're almost like collages of all this creator content on my profile. I would take my favorite pieces of art from the community, clip them all together, post it on the profile as a bit of a highlight piece, a bit like how the Ben Gazette does it now. But back then I did it in my own personal way and I would shout out these creators and that would get a lot of attention because while people were vibing with the teasers of Azuki, there wasn't a heap of Azuki content out there. So a lot of the early a lot of the creative content from the early days came from the community and i it was it was really fulfilling and wholesome for me because i was able to discover all this really good art but also have a platform to share that and i think off the back of being an early supporter of azuki my profile grew and then i started getting more people following me because i was this guy that was sharing a lot of content from the community that wasn't getting a lot of attention so i sort of you could say I leverage it, but I think I did. I was able to uplift myself by uplifting creators in the community and shining a light on them 
And off the back of that, I actually ran three or four of my own podcast spaces shows in the early days called Azuki Curated, where I would bring on, you know, six or seven different artists or creators from the community, interview them, showcase their work. It took it, it. You would know as a. It takes a lot a, of time. It take it takes a lot of time and prep, yeah, and I would have does. loved to continue doing that. But you know, the amount of time I was putting in, well, while I enjoyed running those spaces, I think I it was burning me out a little bit. But I had a really good time in the early days, like I said, uplifting these creators, and I think that's sort of how I've shaped my profile now. Is a lot of the you'll notice on my profile referencing twitter specifically i most of my posts i'd say 90 percent of them now is all creative content or an image like i think the algo on twitter i find with at least what i share it's very visually focused mm. and this stems back to what i was saying earlier that i'm very i'm a very visual person i like creative content i like visuals so that's why i'm posting a lot of what i do it's all visuals from the garden it's visuals from the nft space and i really just enjoy sharing that because otherwise i wouldn't be jumping online every day posting stuff like it's just it can be quite time consuming but just being able to share a lot of the art a lot of steam boys work the community it's it's what i enjoy and and you haven't you literally haven't changed since then you have continued to uplift the artists in the community because there's so many and the artwork that comes out of people who just love azuki and its ip there's just so much there's there's so much talent too and i love that you've been able to be in the right place right right time sort of thing but also pivot and you haven't changed as a as as a person at your very core of loving you know the artwork and i don't want to leave out all of the other things that you've done obviously you're an ob you've been a co-host for uh red bean radio you've you've done your own spaces highlighting artists you've helped push spirit dow along to where it's at now and that's a huge feat thinking about all of that what's this Azuki journey been like for you? It's been pretty. It's been pretty wild, man. It's obviously a roller coaster. You know, I've been there since the start. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember back to the first to the mint itself. I <laughs> the mint was at four a.m. and Australia time, and I'd set a set aside a big bag of ETH to be able to max mint. I think I was trying to mint, you know, ten Azuki. I set my alarm just after the mint started because I was like, oh, this duck shock auction will, you know drop down i'll be able to get in at 0.8 0.7 sold out super quick so it was rocky <laughs> from the start i got five to start with okay, two ETH, but i was hoping to get 10 but that's fine it's lesson learned yeah the, the journey's been an interesting one man like it's there's been a lot of ups and downs obviously you ride the sentiment of the community but the the connections i've made along the way has been in, incredible you know the community's just i couldn't thank them enough for the support they give me i wouldn't change a thing i know that we are experienced some tough times now we experienced some tough times last may yep. but you know it's it's great to see people band together and i don't i think the power of this community is still underestimated i think we've got a long way to go but it's been a pleasure to be a part of it you know i think starting out as a ob and then slowly building up my profile and connecting with 
some of the guys from the Azuki Spirit Club being lucky enough to be part of the Spirit DAO and break into that group um, to now manage their full, uh, like I manage all outward comms basically through the official accounts and yeah. ran our marketing program for DAO Comic. Looking forward to continuing the journey with that those guys and obviously more recently you know being able to finally meet a lot of the garden and uh, yes a lot of the friends that i made along the way in las vegas was an experience i'll never forget and i no doubt think that'll happen again i know that it's brutal out there at the moment since that event that you know seeing the power of the community and everything that everyone did across las vegas but also new york i wasn't able to attend in la you know all these events around the world sort of go to show that what we have is something special and i think we should continue on that journey um, and it's obvious that a lot of people are sticking around for that which is excites me so yeah i know that it's it's always a risk tying yourself so heavily to something like nfts mm -hmm. and web3 which a lot of people don't understand and consider quite volatile but you know i've always kept my values pretty consistent and if i if i'm staying authentic to myself and continuing to you know lean on in on my interests I, i'm not going anywhere because you know i like connecting with like-minded individuals there's a lot of smart people in the garden that i really enjoy engaging with and no doubt i've learned a lot off them over the journey and will continue to do so and yes it's it can be quite stressful being invested in something like nfts but the community aspect of it as well is something that i love to bits and i think that that's not going anywhere like i said so it's important to know where you're here why you're here right exactly because if you have that rooted in the ground it's a lot easier to withstand all this force and all this pressure that we're all feeling yeah exactly like i know originally when i got into nfts it was purely about and crypto about making money and you know that's still an element of it a lot of people in here are invested in this and have have skin in the game and i would be lying if i said i wasn't financially incentivized to stick around and push through with the rest of the community but at the same time i think part of the reason why i stayed was the community element and the creative element i love connecting with people i love seeing the art that comes out of these projects i love seeing the innovations that come out it's just all really relevant to my interests and yeah i look forward to seeing where that goes because I feel like I personally have a responsibility as well now that I'm sort of considered a representative of the community, someone that oh, yes, people look up to. I was blown away by the reception I received going to Las Vegas, you know, meeting you, meeting a lot of other community members. It was, it was wild because, you know, yes, you get a lot of support online, but when you turn up to these IRL events, I mean, it was sort of two years in the making and you have strangers coming up to you and being like, hey, I, I, you know, I love what you do. I follow your profile. It's, it's sort of surreal. And uh, even before that IRL event, I've always felt like I've got this responsibility to continue to be authentic and be myself and provide mm -hmm. people with a bit of an outlet to consume content relevant to the garden. You know, 90% of my content on my feed is related to Azuki. I, I made that decision once the project released and I've stuck by that while I have a lot of other interests outside of Azuki, other projects, other friend groups. You know, I just think that the profile that I made for myself on Twitter specifically, I, I want to keep that consistent and I enjoy that. I respect that. I respect that a lot. What did you like the most when it came to Vegas? Because I, I, I always find it interesting to ask someone what their favorite maybe 
highlight of the event was or what did they kind of walk away from and like walk away from feeling when it came to that event because like these IRL events are just a whole nother level of being able to interact with people that you talk with online constantly right so and and obviously you have this this big family in the spirit down now and I know that you guys hung out quite a bit so was it being able to to see them in person these people that you talk with and have developed a, a real deep connection with yeah definitely the, a lot of the event was pegged around obviously the main event but also the spirit dow we'd spent a lot of time leading into the event coordinating where we'd be staying yeah. you know organizing catch-ups and to finally meet all them was fantastic but i'd i'd say equally so being able to meet a lot of others that were going to the event was so such a great experience right like i really wanted to go to new york the year before but the the lead time from the announcement to the event was too short notice for me because you know it does take quite a lot (laughs) to get over to the states from australia so yeah meeting all the people and seeing the passion that everyone had was insane like i knew the people i knew members of the garden were passionate about the project and connecting with one another but you know every person i met had a story or something they'd created to share with me be it stickers merch projects they were working on digital ip tech innovations everyone that went there was working on something or had some sort of interest to share that i just found so interesting it wasn't just about going to and you'll know this it wasn't just about going to hakasan and dropping as much alcohol into my body as possible and vibing out at some (laughs) sort of announcement i actually wasn't feeling 100 percent going into hakasan actually i was pretty flat we i know we had those booths at the front but it was probably a blessing in disguise i think i went a bit too hard at skate the gallery and i was a little (laughs) little unders for hakasan so it actually gave me a better opportunity to actually branch out and wander around the venue chat to people engage with all the different activations get some merch like it was such a great experience just connecting with people man like that was that's what it was all about and oh yeah you know i sound like a broken record saying this i know a lot of people have touched on this about the event itself but all the sub community events sub communities the wrong word with all the community events that were Vegas just blew me away. There was something for everyone. It yeah. wasn't just roll in for the Friday, especially for people like myself who traveled such a long way to be able to come in on the Wednesday night and have something to do the whole weekend all the way through to Sunday or Monday, be it dinners, gallery events, mixes, whatever it was, just connecting with everyone was incredible. And like I said, I know we're in a bit of a tough spot at the moment, but I have no doubt that experience, you can't just easily replicate that but I, I have a feeling that that'll happen again in the future. There's no doubt in my mind that there'll be future moments where we all come together again and experience the same feeling. So I think it's going to be bigger and better for sure, honestly. For sure. I'm wondering, like, was there one person or uh, experience or moment that you kind of remember that kind of sticks out? Like, either it be uh, something funny or or you know sad or whatever was there one thing that you 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 remember about it and you're like oh my god that was hilarious um (laughs) there were a few funny moments (laughs) i had a really good night the first night when i got there i rolled in with ice coffee we flew in from australia i actually met ice coffee for the first time in at melbourne airport 
we'd known each other for a year online and lived in the same city, but we'd never actually met. That's crazy. And we met at the airport and we vibed out and went to Hakkasan. We arrived, not Hakkasan, sorry, um, the Aria Hotel. And we met Sam Gildas and Eva and just sat with them for two or three hours at the lift bar and just caught up you know they were these guys uh, absolute legends and that was such a great experience you know but the the funniest story it was a bit of a stressful moment actually was when we had to leave vegas to get back to australia everyone was riding off the high of the elemental airdrop and we really wanted to get back home (laughs) for the mint right and ice and i had a ice and i were leaving on the sunday night we had a flight from vegas to la at 8 p.m Okay. Or the flight was at 7 p.m. It's like an hour flight. So we're meant to get a flight at 7 p.m., land in L.A. at 8 p.m., and then our international flight was leaving at 10 p.m. back to Australia. So our flight, connecting flight from Vegas to L.A. was United Airlines, and they essentially, we got a message, ICE got a message at like 1 p.m. being like, yeah, your flight's been delayed, and we looked at the times, and we basically were like, okay, we're not going to make this. Yeah. This, we're not going to make our connecting flight back home. Oh so God. I went to the concierge desk. I dialed up some airlines and made a few calls, and there was absolutely nothing else available to get from Vegas to LA. What? So when we realized we couldn't get on another flight, our, our connecting flight on United kept getting pushed back. And we're like, yeah, there's no way this flight's taking off today. So we just made the executive decision. We're like, all right, we're getting a car and we are driving. We're getting a ride to LA. So we ju- we, it was 3 p.m. It was 4 p.m. We jumped in a car and took on the drive. How long did it take? Four and a half, five hours in the car. Oh, my God. And this was like full speed as well. It was super stressful. And we got to LAX about five minutes before our no. check-in closed. Oh, my God. Five minutes? I- yeah, so what happened was, I'm not sure if you've been to LAX before, but there's this long there's this long winding road up to the international terminal and you have to drive past five or six of the domestic terminals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was five lanes leading up to this terminal and it was just bumper to bumper for about half an hour. So I jumped out of the car at the top of the driveway and I ran about eight, probably about a kilometre, which is <laughs> half a mile I ran half a mile to the terminal to try and tell them to hold the plane for us or to hold the plane so that we could get our luggage on. So I got to the desk and I was out of breath after running for about 10 minutes. No way. And I was like, yo guys, (laughs) we're here. We're the last two to board. Just, just hold the the plane. We've just, we've just, we've just jumped in a car and driven all the way from Vegas. Please let us come on. And then like a couple of minutes later, ice rocks up with the luggage and they, they let us on the plane. So it was a big breath of relief, but it was a pretty crazy way to end the trip. And we got back home in time and yeah, it was definitely worth it. That is insane. That is, I cannot believe that you ran out of the car to get over there. And tell them, hey, just please wait. That is actually, I can't even imagine. Like, that is so stressful. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't get, someone was telling me, they said, you shouldn't run at LAX because they'll shoot you. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, I don't think that's true. But yeah, I I was, it was a bit sus, this random guy just sprinting at full speed through an airport. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, we got there, we got home. it, It all worked out. It all worked out. 
all worked out exactly. And now, since it kind of leads us to this, obviously, Elementals dropped. It didn't do very well, and in in a couple different ways, that's for sure. Some of the things that I can name is min price, the time, right? Especially looking yep. at your, looking back at your story. Those are the two easiest things to me. Obviously, the execution could have been better. And so a lot of the community has left. Not a lot, but just specific groups and individuals have left the community. A lot of us are still here. But now that we're kind of settling down, we're, we're kind of in this period of, okay, what's next? Uh, a lot of us are still going to build, but you know, like what's next? We, we still need to know uh, that like everything is on track, right? So what do you hope Azuki does moving forward? Because I kind of want to like dive into some specifics of it uh, when it comes to mm -hmm. what you hope Azuki does moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. I think but without going into what they did wrong, you know, I really hope moving forward they in, listen more to some of the larger holder groups. I think they did really well at doing that, following what happened, and they do do that along the way. But there's a lot of really great individuals and thought leaders and yeah. very smart people that are invested in Azuki. And I think it would be silly not to rely on your holder, ba holder base for feedback and advice. Now, that being said, I think the team's quite big now and they do have the capabilities. We know they do to deliver really good products and really great experiences for the garden. So I think the key for them, and it's really hard at the moment, is to not rush into anything. I think there was what we've learned is the team aren't very good at reacting and rushing things out to please holders be it through announcements or whatever it is just it, if you need months to build something years whatever it is just take your time and make sure what you're delivering is bang on and really well thought out i think elementals was really was well thought out but they probably just missed the mark with getting more feedback and listening to the community because when they re released the mechanics for what the mint was there were a lot of people that were vocal about it and i think that could have been to be a honest moment. due to yeah that stop. could have been a moment for them to just stop and yeah, think exactly. i mean i know that they that, that one of the things they did adjust was the delegate the delegate cash function which was great but i think they were probably trying to be a bit too edgy and bold with the mint price and the mint timings mm -hmm. they really should have thought a bit more about that i mean i know that they like to be azuki like to be trailblazers and pave their own way and do things differently but at the same time if the majority of the community is shouting out for something it's probably worth listening to that at the same time i think they do need to be very careful about the outside noise which i know they are and just really work on delivering for azuki holders especially the OG collection, it's going to be a challenge because while they need to reward some of our, they need to reward OGs, especially long-term holders and those with a lot of holdings. And I also think those that have invested a lot in rares to mid-rares, I think the collector's profile will play a big role in that. I think while you need to try and re reward those holders, you also cannot forget about beans and elementals. They have a really tough task now because there aren't that many participants in the space. So and until we get to that next bull run, which I, we will, 
I think until they get to that, they really need to look at how that they how they can bring value to existing holders and ensure provide them with a bit of uh, a bit of respite and certainty about the future. So I know that Z is preparing a post coming up soon, so it'll be very interesting to see what he says. I'm glad that they're spending a bit of time working on that. I would hate to experience something that's rushed again. I, to be honest, I think there have been there were a few posts following Elementals Mint that probably could have waited, but they've sort of folded a bit to the pressure mm. of getting something out quickly to try and solve or fix the situation. So yeah, I, I mean, what what do you think? What what would you suggest? What's your outlook on the situation? I mean. Again, I guess it, it, let's let's go back to kind of showing where we're coming from. So for me, right, I'm I'm not over invested. You know, I'm I might be emotionally over invested, but I'm not financially over invested. I'm, I mean, I guess I did go to hmm. LA, New York, all that. So so I come at this in, in a in a builder perspective. I want them to, of course reward the OG holders what that looks like I'm not exactly sure I think I think the badge the the collection is going to play some role in it I'd also like them to kind of take a look at whole time and that's selfishly because I've been holding the same azuki since I minted I, I feel like that should play a part as well and what that looks like, how they reward them, I don't really know, man. Like, it, it really depends yeah. on what what they've got planned, right? We don't know what they have planned, like, moving forward, like, farther in the future. But whatever it is, it has to really, they have to have a, some sort of algorithm that really gives a greater allocation of whatever it is to you know, the OG holders first and foremost, and especially like the people who are, who spent as much money as they did for rares, mid rares, you know, I, I'm really curious to see how they tackle it. If they're, if they really see themselves as trailblazers, like that is going to be a defining moment, I feel like. And the, they've got to do something there. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see what they do. Cause I don't think I've really seen that many other, use cases in in the nft market i i might be just in my own little bubble here but i i don't think i've heard of any way that other nfts reward their og holders yeah that's right it's going to be a challenge for them and to be honest there's no short-term solution here i think the, the team unfortunately broke the trust of a lot of the og holders and that's not something that you can repay or rebuild with a with a quick announcement or a quick development, I think they just need time to deliver on their original plan and right the wrongs of what they've done, which I think they can do. Uh, they've got a long-term roadmap, so they just need to tighten up, get their heads down and stick to what they're planning on working on. Now, I know that there's they've spoken about this anime series that's coming up. I'm excited to see where that lands, but I'm also not sure if that's like the 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 only solution that will get us out of this situation i think it's just it's going to take time and i think they're in a fortunate position where yes we have lost a, a number of holders which is totally understandable i think there are two ways you can approach this situation you can either 
and this isn't a recommendation to anyone, but I made a post on this the other day, breaking from my, <laughs> this was my, the one, one out of 10 posts that I do that is a bit more text heavy. It, it was a post basically suggesting that, you know, there's no long-term solution here. You fall into two buckets. You're either going to stick it out and hang with your assets and ride the wave of ups and downs for the next six to 12 months or you just need to cut your losses and you know not stare at the charts all day. I think a lot of the stress that's coming out of this space is people that are jumping on OpenSea Blur every day, looking at the floor price. You either believe in this project and the team or you don't. And I think you're, I've personally found the best thing that works for me personally is if I'm a believer in this project, which I am, I'm just going to... I'm just going to stick to my mindset. I'm going to not grind myself into insanity by staring at floor prices. And I'm just going to ride the wave for the next six to 12 months. Yeah. Having a long-term outlook and not being worried about short-term volatility is something that's not easy, but I think it's much healthier than <laughs> much healthier. looking at much healthier than looking at what can be done in the short term. How can I get my, liquidity back unfortunately some of us and a lot of people may have been overexposed to azuki but at the end of the day if you still believe in the team and think that they can deliver with this big war chest that they've got which i think they can just tough it out and hang in there because that's that's your best option outside of cutting your losses and potentially coming back at a later date or reducing your risk tolerance maybe some people i know a lot of people have taken some risk off the table sold some Azuki's elementals, jumped in with just a bean, or they've gone right. from eight Azuki yeah. down to one Azuki. So they're still part of the garden, but they've reduced their size, which is totally fine. Absolutely. I think one thing that's really good with the garden is people don't sell shame or they call it out if it does happen. We don't we don't want to do that. It's a really oh, I didn't see you any know, I didn't people's... see much of that actually at all. If any. No, no. I I didn't see much of that either, to be honest. And, and to be honest, I've seen a lot of loud voices from outside sources in the past two weeks. I think one thing that I I find very good to do, at least with my own profile I'm following, is if I do see some of these outside voices being overly critical, critical, maybe somewhat irrational and nasty i guess I, I just block them you know the good thing about twitter is you can curate your own feed and if you're constantly surrounding yourself with negativity and people from other communities trying to tear you down i'm seeing a lot of consistencies with where we are now to where we were last year with the zagabon fund in terms of social sentiment there's a lot of people that still like to pile on point criticism and yeah. spread in misinformation while I do encourage critical critical thinking and criticism and feedback, especially when people have done something that's considered wrong or could improve. I don't condone the spreading of misinformation and treating people badly. So when I see that stuff come up on the timeline, I, I just block it. And you know what, if there are memes, I get it. Some of it's funny, but I try not to surround myself with that, which I think it's a lot of people unfortunately get sucked into. Mm -hmm. I, I, my advice to people is don't engage with those posts on Twitter. That's exactly what they want. It's easy to get sucked into this hole of negativity and fud. And if, if you find yourself down there, it's a really hard place to get out of. So what I found really positive on the flip side is there's been a lot of really great people joining the space, joining the garden. I've seen a lot of new elementals. It's such a great experience to every day jump on and see someone new join our garden and 
you know, I'd encourage anyone listening, if you do see those posts, there's a lot of this already happening is say hello, say welcome, give them a follow. Yes, we don't know if they're going to be around for a long time, but I think the one thing that the garden's so well respected for is the fact that we're really inclusive and we welcome others and we're very kind. Yes, there's always going to be bad eggs and individuals within every community that um, may reflect poorly on the wider group. But, you know, I think we've done a really good job of showing that we're a really well respected and inclusive group of people. So we need to continue on that journey. So it's great to see that after what happened, it didn't, yes, there was a spiral, but there were so many people sticking around to uplift others and welcome those. So let's keep doing that. Hell yeah. I, I, you know what? I cannot think of a better way to end the podcast there. But Mehdi, thank you for coming to the podcast, man. I'm, I'm finally glad to have you on. It was a long time coming. I had you top of mind like way back when. So finally having you on, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy that you were able to carve out some time for me. No, thank you so much, man. I think what you're doing with these behind the PFP podcasts is awesome. And yeah, stick to it because, you know, there's so many great individuals in the community and just shout out to you for doing such a good job sharing their stories. And yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I know I know, I like to chat a little bit and ramble a little bit. So thank you for listening to me for the last, thank you for listening to me for the last hour. And yeah, look forward to seeing what you come out with next. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Behind the PFP. If you're not already following, please go ahead and follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Still don't know if you can follow on Apple Podcasts, but I digress. I've had this episode ready for three months. It took me three months to finally release this episode. So it's about damn time. Uh, I, I truly apologize to Bamedi for not sending this way sooner but better late than never i'm just glad that i was able to tell his story and i hope that you enjoyed it and with that 